with technology increasingly affecting every aspect of our lives, it's important to understand how it affects us psychologically. Welcome to the Psychology of Technology podcast, where we look at how humans and machines collide. And it's Karim Tawansi here for our usual show of Psychology of Technology. And with me as usual, but not necessarily in the studio. Now I'm running out of adjectives for you. Here he is himself, Mr. Brett Raven. Hey, Brett, how are you doing? Good afternoon, Karim. How are you? Doing very well. Any exciting news on your side of the world, which is, happens to be about five kilometers from where I am? I'm by begrudgingly learning the Greek alphabet at the moment. Is that because you're learning Greek? No, because of all the variants that keep coming out with... Oh. Uh, with COVID-19. So we've got up to Omicron now, which is an interesting letter. I've never really thought about about that before. It kind of sounds like a transformer, doesn't it? I'm the Omicron. (laughs) It does a little bit. Let's hope there's no more that we need to consider. Yeah, let's hope there there is no more indeed. And with me in the studio today is Rebecca Swinfield. Now, Rebecca is somebody I've managed to have the pleasure of working with over the many years of my career. Rebecca's current role is one of leadership in an IT firm, but she comes from a a business and HR background. So she's somebody who knows quite a bit around leading and managing people. She had extensive experience in in various councils around the city of Sydney and a variety of other organisations. And currently she is the Chief Executive Officer at Salentive Systems, a digital transformation. Consultancy. A digital consultancy. Thank you for putting the words in my mouth. How are you today, Rebecca? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Very well, thank you. For the one or five people that listen to this uh, podcast on a regular basis, you'll notice that I always say very well, thank you. Anyway, so today we're going to talk a little bit about the nuances of management and leadership in IT. So for those people who have never had the pleasure of working in the IT industry, there's a couple of things that I, you need to understand about the people in the industry. Generally speaking, they tend to be people of a high IQ and especially when it comes to analytical capabilities because it's a very much a cerebral job. It's definitely not a physical job and that's sometimes reflected in the physiques. I'm just using myself as an example here. That's not to say there are not some buff software engineers out there. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> not one of them. Um, I don't think there's many. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> I haven't been lucky enough to meet many. The, the term... I'm here to change the world is something that seems to come up a lot, especially when you track people in the IT industry in the US, although there's a few world-changing people here in Australia as well. Often the mission is using their technical capabilities to make those world changes. So when you think about what a person in IT is all about, and then you think about what it's like to lead those kind of people, I think it's fair to say there are some particular nuances around leading and managing people in IT, especially given there's a probably quite a high level of introverts in the industry. So people with very deep thinkers who are on a mission and who want to use their, let's call it their art, to change the world, usually for, for the good. So talking about a person in IT, Mr. Raven, how have you, what, what are your experiences like with IT workers? Yeah, look, it's been, uh, I just reflected, I've uh, been professionally in the industry for over 30 years now. I think uh, you share the same same uh, long-toothedness in this uh, in this industry. And and it, w- when I kind of reflect back, I look at how I behaved as a technologist, but also um, the kind of people that I saw around. And I kind of kind of see people being put into certain buckets. So I think there's, at the kind of top end of the food chain, from my perspective, is the creators, like the people who really want to be creative in technology. And they're the ones that are super passionate about um, how they build stuff and what they build, and they take a lot of ownership over it. And, um, you know, they're continuing... They want to continue to learn and perfect their art and master and uh, make a big difference. And, and it does come out a lot in some of the conversations I have. Then I think there's people who are more the mechanics. So they're the fixers. They love the challenge of a problem appearing in front of them, um, almost in a list, and being able to go and hunt down the problem and, and solve the problem and then tick that box 
off the list and move on to the next thing. And then I think there's a third group, which are more, you know, the kind of people who, who can see how things all fit together. So rather than creators, they're connectors. So between creators, uh, mechanics and, and connectors, I think those are the three groups that I see in technology. And they each have a slight different view on what's important to them. And I think I think that's one of the things I've been trying to do in my career when I'm working or managing with people is understand which of those three buckets they fall in and how do I appeal to those those uh, requirements and demands and, and things that are interesting to them. Beck, do you see that in your business? Is that something that is, is recognized in, in your area? Yeah, I mean, I think they have different drivers, definitely. I probably approach it a little bit differently in that you know, we talked earlier about meaning and purpose, and I think you've got to definitely be clear on the why with um, all those groups of people. Certainly most of them in my team like to solve problems. They like some sort of challenge, they like to learn, and they also like to, you know, work with other people to solve those complicated problems. So, I mean, I think that the interesting thing about these people that we're talking about is they can be categorised in different ways, but the overarching feature of them right now is they're in extremely high demand. And uh, I think that's something that puts a lot of pressure on those that are trying to attract and retain them in their organisation. I think if, if you have anything to do with technology right now and you're trying, just to put a bit of context, we're now in December t- 2021 here in Sydney. If you're trying to find a, a software engineer, a designer, an architect, pretty much anything to do with delivering or creating technology, at least here in Sydney, you're, you're finding that you're struggling. But I know that that's actually the case in, in a lot of the world at the moment. So it, it really, it's a it's an industry where people are in high demand. And I think one of the things about it is it's not a particularly easy collection of skills that you can, a collection of skills that can easily be trained up. So there's a high level of complexity, I suppose, when it comes to the, the kind of roles that people fulfill. And therefore mm-hmm. you can't just take one group and then suddenly turn them into a bunch of software engineers or, or infrastructure engineers, et cetera. Kareem, if you if you recall back in the dot-com days when it was just so hard for us, I mean, first of all, we could get jobs really easily and walk into high-paying roles and so on. And then there was a big push for people in university studying studying technology, if you remember that. And then there was a bit of a glut after the dot-com bust and, and GFC and so on. Do you think there's another cycle happening here? Do you think that, you know, we're in this war on talent right now, and it's probably even more significant than it was, uh, you know, 10 or 12 years ago or 20 years ago. But do you think a glut will happen again? Do you think there'll be people who are looking for jobs that won't be able to find them in the next two or three years? So it's it's kind of funny you should say that because I thought about that and I actually don't think it's the same thing because you're right, there, there was in the early 20s, there was this real shortage of people and then suddenly with the towards the middle and the end, there was, the whole, there was an overabundance of them and then, you know, in a situation when you're running a professional services organisation, suddenly you have a whole bunch of people on the, on the bench, which is a very expensive process. I don't think that's the case this time around and I think the, the reason behind that is because the pandemic has kicked off a complete change in the way people think about technology. So back then it was just particular fads and now it's my entire business has to be at some level digital. At the absolute minimum, there has to be a, la- a component of, of digitization to my, my business. So I think that's not a one or two year process. I tend to agree. I think transfer, everybody's transforming right now, right? And by hook or by crook in many ways, given COVID and the changes to the way the world works. Um, so, so Beck, I, I, I guess um, I'm just curious to know from your perspective, when you're out in the market hiring people, what are the things that you're appealing to or using in order to attract talent? It's a tough one, right? Because we're, what we're looking for might little, might literally be a unicorn because we ask a, a lot from, from one sort of resource. So 
you know, it's it's not just the technical skill set that we're looking for. I think that was probably the difference between now and, and sort of the period you're talking about. Now we want them to be technical but also customer facing. We need them to understand how to, you know, manage projects to deadlines and budgets and, and things like that. So you're looking for someone who's got a pretty broad but deep skill set. So that can be can be quite a challenge. In terms of techniques, I think, you know, the culture is is really important to us, making sure that, you know, they're gonna work for someone who cares about them and, and sort of has their career in mind. Certainly looking at it from a uh, meaning and purpose perspective around, you know, making sure that we're appealing to doing interesting work. I mean, in my business, it's, you know, we work for customers, so quite a lot of variety, and that's a big appeal. I think they like to have new and interesting problems to tackle all the time. So sort of, we leverage that a little bit in terms of you've always got a new technology or a new project or a new customer to deal with, and I think that keeps things interesting. So I think you've got to use what it, you know, whatever's in your business that is the strengths to sort of appeal to them. But I think we are all appealing for the same talents. I think what's also interesting about that is right now, to add a bit more, let's put it, colour to the situation is the great, well, there's the great resignation, but also the great reconsideration. I think a lot of people are reconsidering how they work, where they work, what they do. And when you add all that together, when you add all the various factors, it sort of creates for quite a complex environment for leaders and managers to work in both in terms of finding people but also to keep them there because they have so many choices mm. including the choice to work very differently and whether or not that the way they work fits in with the particular business and I think that maybe this is the first time it's ever been like this where previous job shortages people are kind of saying I want this kind of person and and this kind of person knows what they are and what role they have and what role they are there to fulfill. And it was just really a matching exercise. But now it's more than that. It's really much more in the employee's court than ever before because it's not just about what you as the employer want or what you as the business need. It's also what I want mm. and what I need for the balance in my life. So when you put all that together, I think that puts a real strain on managers and leaders. On top of that, of course, as Simon Sinek would say, the why. People are looking for the why. Why would I work for you? Do you find, Beck, that that's something, that question that you're getting from people that you lead? Yeah, I think definitely. I mean, as you said, they've got a lot of choice. Uh, you know, I think different, uh, you know, different things appeal to different people, even on the why. So, you know, some people want to work for some someone who's sort of ethical and then changing the world you were talking about earlier. Other people, it might be a little bit more personal around conditions and things like that. So I think there's definitely got to be something compelling that you're appealing to the person around. Do you find that, Brett, in the roles that you've held over the years? Uh, absolutely. I think it's getting, as, as we're all saying today, it's getting more so that way, right? If people have choices. If, if they've got five or six criteria and you don't match all those criteria, then why would they join you? And why would they stay with you? That, like, that's the other thing, right? It's the, the great resignation is all about um, retention. How do we get on top of the retention? How do we prevent people from jumping ship to a 30% increase in a, in a business when you can't afford to do that themselves? So it's a battle out there. I think this battle is going to last for a little while. I don't see it ending in any short time frame. And yeah, I don't know what's going to happen next, actually. See, the thing that I think that the overarching thing behind all of this, though, is the market, because businesses exist to address markets. And the markets, I suppose, I mean, here's the irony, the markets are probably demanding more from businesses now than ever before. They're demanding better prices, they're demanding better service, they're demanding better systems. So the businesses in between the market and the workers is probably the only movable bit here 
because employees and workers are saying, we want more, and, and the market is saying, we want more, and there's only one area that can move, which is the businesses in between. Now, I wouldn't say that every business is exactly the same. There are those that are particularly profitable and there are those that are less profitable. So different businesses are in different circumstances. And I think when you're a leader or a manager in, in a business that maybe doesn't necessarily have a brand or deep pockets, it makes, I, I suppose, that role much more personal because the reason why people stay with you is maybe a little bit more about who you as a leader or as a person is. And I think that's probably one of the things that I, I've discussed with you in the past, Rebecca, which is that relationship that you have with those that you lead. Yeah, I mean, it's the same It's the same problem that we have around selling ourselves to customers, right? So, you know, it's a similar challenge around, you know, selling the, the promise of what it's like to work for me as it is around uh, what it's like to work with me from a customer's perspective. So I think it's an interesting challenge, but it's a good one because as leaders, it probably also keeps us on our toes around being clear, what is the why? You know, why are you better than your competitors in terms of why customers buy from you and why are you better in terms of to work for as well? Yeah, I suppose at the end of the day, it's just about lifting the, lifting bar. the game. Lifting the bar. Lifting yeah. the bar, exactly. To sort of bring this all home, when you put this all together, my view is that pragmatism will prevail. There has been, and there will probably always be, things that come into our industry, and like every industry, I suppose, as the new thing that everybody focuses on. And I, the examples I think of are offshoring, bring your own device, even the agile development methodology. I can remember each one of those coming into the market and being the thing that everybody talks about and the thing that everybody <laughs> adheres to. And then after a while, they don't disappear, but they sort of find their spot. And I think things like working from home and flexibility is potentially the same because at the end of the day, businesses have to be pragmatic. I think if you stick with principles like pragmatism, flexibility, transparency, and being open about your strategy, I think they're probably the underlying drivers behind what people look for. I would add, I would add trust to that as well, right? Because if you, you have to have a really distinct mutual trust between yourself and your employee to ensure that if you grant them these these rights, right, grant them the freedoms they want to work anywhere, work on the products and projects that they want to work on, there has to be that inherent trust. That's been really tested in the last couple of years, hasn't it? Yep, totally agree. Yeah, and I think being open-minded around, you know, some of these ideas, you know, they are challenging the way that we work now, but that's probably a good thing. I think I find with my staff, if you kind of explain the benefits and the limitations in which we're working, you know, between the two ideas, you can come up with a third way that will sort of work for everybody. And yeah, that's probably, you know, hybrid work, for example, is, is a, it has pros and cons of sort of working from home versus working in the office. And I think if you've got a hybrid model, that works. So totally agree with spread on trust and you know, communication and all those things. I think if you open up the topic between the, the employees and the leaders, hopefully we come up with something that works for everybody. So on, on those very wise words, I think we'll say our goodbyes to you. As always, it's been a pleasure chatting with you, Mr. Raven. Thank you, sir. Good to have you online today. And Beck, great to see you. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks to you too, Beck. Thanks for coming along. Thanks very much. See Thanks, guys. Ne- Bye. See you next time. Bye.